Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jill Barnard. Jill is the Chief Financial Officer for Televerde. In this position, Jill is focused on strategic movements and fast company growth. She joined Televerde with 30 years of executive experience across seven industries. Jill previously served as CFO at Mountainside Fitness, Equipment Brokers Unlimited, Delorme Associates, and National Processing Management Group. Jill holds a BA in Business Administration from Western Michigan University. She is passionate about animals and volunteers with several organizations. Jill is also an avid world traveler. Jill, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited in such a time of things most of us have never seen in a pandemic. It's really, really a great opportunity to uh, speak with you today. Yeah. So today we're talking about managing through change, something that even in the best of times is never easy. And we'll be using your experience with Televerde during COVID-19 as a case study. So let's start off by talking about Televerde. What does Televerde do and how is your business model different? We are a full service sales and marketing organization. So we basically help all companies generate revenue at all points within their marketing and sales journey. We help clients whether that is top of funnel activity, middle of funnel activity, all the way through closing. So we support all industries. We're very, very heavily involved in the tech industry. And the exciting thing about our business is our business model. So we are a business that is purpose-driven and just about 50% of our workforce is currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. Wow. So it's really quite an awesome balancing act to experience as a CFO being in a for-profit yet purpose-driven company. So that has been quite the balancing act at Televerde that has added a layer of complexity, but yet enjoyment in getting over those challenges. We actually see something that people, if you take a moment to think about it, that we have an incomprehensible dedication from half of our workforce about learning job skills because it's more than just a paycheck, right? It's more than something I just do every single day. My life is at stake, the future life of my family, and therefore, head down, I'm going to learn these skills that have been you know, presented as an opportunity. And so we just see that more is at stake for these individuals. And so we work really hard in providing second chance, more of a prison to workforce development pipeline. And, you know, particularly before the pandemic, we all know what the unemployment numbers were looking like. And it was hard to find help. 
it was hard to find help in the tech industry. And so here we are developing amazing women with amazing tech skills. And so it's really an opportunity for us to help the situation of shortage of jobs that the tech industry can experience. So it's really quite interesting from a business model standpoint. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you're giving these women second chances. Um, I mean, I think everybody deserves a second chance in life. Absolutely. It is a whole different reason to get out of bed every single day and go to work. I've actually never experienced such a driving force, um, you know, going to work every single day. So it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I'm sure. So when COVID-19 hit, how did Televerde react? And what were some of the changes that you made to weather the storm? We actually are well prepared from what a lot of companies are talking about, a disaster recovery situation where we all have plans in place. I think Televerde is a little more robust, right? Because you have to realize when 50% of your workforce is not 100% in your control, that you have to make sure that you're prepared to pivot and pivot quickly. So one of the things we are really proud of as an organization is we had our eye on what was happening, you know, and really started paying attention. We're a global company. We have an office in Scotland, Argentina, Arizona, Indiana. So we were paying attention and having some robust conversations as early as February with our eye on what was happening. And so when we made the call, we actually pivoted to a work from home 100% model outside of incarceration within 24 hours. We deployed laptops. We deployed thin clients. We deployed monitors, keyboards, you name it. Our global workforce in 24 hours was fully at home and safe. That was our number one reaction as a company is to keep our employees safe. And the second thing we did was service our customers and protect the base of revenue generating um, clients that we had in play. And what we did is we relied on data, data, and more data. So we monitored the metrics so closely and just meeting after meeting, making sure that we could deliver incredible, timely information of what was happening in the market for each of our individual clients. We had some clients that saw an incredible surge. We had to rise to the occasion where their business being in security and laptop security and you know all of those aspects of business double and triple numbers that these companies were definitely not used to seeing and we had to make sure that we serviced all of it we had other clients where their particular product was not incredibly relevant that could be dealt with in the moment of a pandemic such as 
items that are directly driven towards the healthcare industry, where it was very wise to take a step back and pause. So we met with our clients in great detail and shared all of the intel that we were receiving on the phones to make sure our clients felt in control of decisions. We are a partnership company. We're not here just to take money and do services that maybe don't make sense. We actually make sure that all of our partners know what we're seeing in the market to make sure that we can pivot quickly. Another thing that we did is we developed a task force and our task force, even today in July, meets every single day. Wow. We, dis we discuss whether there is any testing, whether there's been any, any exposure. HR is a part of that. Our CEO sits on the call. I sit on the call. And so monitoring HIPAA rules and everything, but yet we have a pulse on what's going on. And we are very blessed. We have not had an outbreak. We have not had our particular employees impacted. We are seeing a little bit of increased testing, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. But that is something that we just find absolutely critical to everyone feeling like they can help questions coming to them and feeling like they have great information. And we additionally are doing all hands meetings every other week. We started weekly. Then once we were at home, everybody was safe. We went to a every other week meeting and we require video on all of our internal meetings. And it's really been nice because I see the people in Scotland more now working from home than I actually ever did before. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's amazing. And, and one thing that resonates with me that you said about putting your employees' safety first, I, I feel like when you put your employees first, good things always happen. Absolutely. I think that fear is a really big thing. And you have to, as leaders, make sure that you recognize that that can happen. And so you have to continuously deliver the message and follow up with actions and follow up with communication that that is on the top of your mind, that we are concerned to make sure that everyone is safe, first and foremost. So which of these changes resulted in more than just Televerde surviving, but actually making the company stronger and why? Well. Like I mentioned before, the video being required for all of our meetings, it really has created this level of connection that I don't know that people have had before with people that are outside of their office. You know, we have a big workforce. We're over 500 people. And so having meetings, all hands meetings, where you can see all of the squares, right? It's like the Hollywood squares. Yep. And, you know, we, we talk to each other about that. Okay, see you tomorrow in the squares. And it's created this connection. And then even just a tiny peek into somebody's home where you see their desk or what their work is like, their dog randomly coming into a call, 
you know, a, a kid needing, you know, a hug, a kiss or help with something, you know, during homeschooling. So it's really created this connection because, right, it, there's a barrier that's gone, that, that safety of putting on your work face. Yeah. It's still there, but not as, you know, tightly as it was. And so the video has been a really good thing. And, you know, there's lots of people, oh my goodness, what do you mean? I still have to do my hair. But yet now it's become so normal within our organization that it is a new part of our culture where you do see people every single day. You do feel the connection. You do see their, you know, face reaction. And it just creates a much easier communication point, I feel. And additionally, I think that the data, holy cow, when you have nothing to do except look at data, you become really, really good at it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's easy for us to you know, feel isolated when we're working from home. So I, I love that you guys are pushing the, the video conferencing so that you know, people do feel connected. Absolutely. Mental health is really being recognized as a challenge in this pandemic situation. And it, it's just, we're used to this human connection. We may gripe about it along the way, but once it's gone, you realize that how much of just the human connection, you know, is a part of your every day. And so it has been really big. We additionally utilizing, you know, Zoom and and great connections that we're seeing in meetings. We also have done some virtual connecting meetings, um, you know, from a social standpoint. And we developed a social committee and they're called the virtual social social committee. And it's really nice because then you have opportunities outside of work to really relate with your coworkers. Yeah, I've heard of actually Zoom happy hours on Friday (laughs) afternoons. Yep, we've taken a few of those where we've had some demonstrations, we've had cooking demonstrations, we've had mixology demonstrations, we have done trivia. It has really been enjoyable. Yeah, that's great. So why do you think it is that some companies bury their head in the sand during times of crises and just wait for it to pass while others actually embrace the change? Well, I think I have to just go to fear. And also on top of fear can be some companies just do not have the ability to pivot quickly and, you know, adapting and embracing, you know, change and creating quick pivots is part of a culture that either exists in an organization or it doesn't. So we all think of startups as being companies that can pivot quickly and embrace change quickly. Well, there's truth to that. And you see that in smaller companies that additionally can move very, very quickly. And so I think fear is a huge driving factor. And a company who can't pivot 
is going to be left behind in a situation like this, in my opinion. I think that some companies, some leaders find crisis being a great equalizer. And that was how I felt from day one is, wow, what if a counterpart at my competitor is not up all night applying for the PPP loan? What if my competitor is not planning quickly enough to get employees safe and working productively at home? So if they're not doing those things, I have an incredible opportunity to continue servicing our clients. And I actually saw this in a local, very tiny owned bakery here in Phoenix, where I watched this bakery over three weeks. I visited it three weekends in a row. Yes, I have a sweet tooth. And each weekend they adapted to the more serious numbers that were being reported in my community. And I really respected the fact that day one, you were able to call in on the phone and they brought things to you. But by week three, the numbers had gotten more severe. There was a stand where a worker would drop food and leave, and then you would get out and pick it up off of the stand, so zero contact. And watching those pivots was just really watching a company who decided that they were going to rise to this you know, occasion and become the bakery that was still open, still running out of cookies by the afternoon, all of those things. And it was really those kind of companies that I have seen rising above the chaos and developing plans to get ahead of it because now they have a chance to get ahead. Maybe a bigger company is not going to be able to pivot as quickly as they are. And then like you said, some people just stick their head in the sand and they hope that it passes quickly. And we all know that the rule of business is evolve or die. And we've seen this over and over, right? Over many, many years. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like some companies are proactive while others are just reactive. Absolutely. History shows us that you really need to make sure that you as a company are nimble enough that you can pivot during adverse times, whether it's an economy downfall, whether it's a pandemic, now that we've all seen that, you have to be able to adapt. And Televerti is a bit unique because we have a very robust, you know, disaster recovery plan because we're in prisons, right? You can't control in a pandemic. It's especially, you know, very top of mind because we know because of the living conditions that virus can spread easily in a prison, but it's not just that. Previous to the pandemic, things happen. We, we had a really bad flu go through an Indiana prison last year, and sometimes our clients, we need to move them to a different center to make sure that we still meet clients' objectives. They don't want to worry about it. That is part of our model. 
where we have the ability to continue to deliver results for our clients regardless of the challenges we might be seeing as a company. So that bit of being able to adapt and pivot just is pretty native to our company to begin with. So as business leaders, how can we establish a company culture that embraces change and finds opportunities to thrive during challenging times? What I think is really discussing fear. And I love this acronym I learned many years ago that fear is basically false evidence appearing real. And yeah, it's one of those things that if you drown in it, then you will be paralyzed. And so you have to make sure that you recognize it and then address it. And I think you, what we did, and, and just as a general belief, is over-communicate. Because I firmly believe if you do not give employees or second-level leaders or anybody in your organization information, they are going to make it up on their own. They are going to fill that white space with whatever it is that is running in their mind and they're experiencing in life. And so if you don't want them to create things that really aren't real, false evidence appearing real to them, then you have to fill the space with accurate information. And I just think that that is a culture piece that leaders can control. And in our company, where so many of our employees are incarcerated, you have to build trust. It is such a giant component of what we do every single day that it is in our DNA. We have to make sure that we are over communicating with our workforce so that they trust what they can't see. Have to remember an incarcerated workforce has very little visibility and they don't have the robust resources to information. And so it's something that, you know, is really important for us to make sure that we're giving our workforce really good information and owning the idea that it may change tomorrow. This doesn't mean this piece of information in a pandemic is going to be the same tomorrow as it is today, as we all see. So we really recognize that in incarceration, change is not always a good thing that they experience in their living environment. And so we work every day to build trust and make sure by communicating that change is okay, that it's just yet another way that we're able to impact these people's lives in a positive way. Yeah, I love that. Over-communicate. I think that's maybe some of the best advice I've ever heard. Okay, so now let's change gears just a bit and talk specifically about the evolving role of the CFO and the part they play in leading companies today. So as a successful CEO, how would you describe the responsibilities that come along with being a CFO today and how do they differ from a decade ago? Well, this is really near and dear to my heart because I think that 
you know, accounting can be boring. It can be redundant. It's very repetitive. If you choose to stay in the old days of taking a whole month to report on the previous month. And systems have evolved in technology to the point where that really is a little bit, you know, old school, I would say. And now I think the really exciting thing that CFOs are seeing and can embrace is the opportunity to have involvement day to day in the success of operations of whatever company. And that information is power. And if you are accurate and timely with information and not 30 days later or 20 days later, not even 10 days later, then there again, that brings that nimbleness in, right? You can pivot quickly and address. And it's something that allows operational leaders in companies to be able to more successfully navigate for clients or products or whatever it is that you're doing. And I think it's huge and important that CFOs spend more time now looking forward and less time looking back. So that is something that I really train finance teams to embrace is let's get the books closed. Yes, that's table stakes. It has to be done. It has to be quick. It has to be accurate. But that is not all you are anymore on a finance team. You are a partner to every aspect of the business so that operationally, they are making really, really good choices. And when you partner with the business and you provide data that allows for them to drive real-time pivots so that no time is lost, that is a successful company in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think it ties back to the point earlier about being proactive versus reactive. 100%, yes. So in this tumultuous environment, how do you make short-term decisions while staying focused on the long-term game and ensuring that Televerde is ready for rapid growth and recovery in a post-coronavirus world? That is really a great question. I think that to some people that comes naturally if you have a strong leadership team. And that is, I'm very blessed to have a lot of great people on our extended leadership team. And we obviously reacted quickly and checked it, checked the boxes that you would think about of managing cash, right? Protect cash at all levels. Make sure that you have happy customers and don't hide from data and information that will create a partnership from customers and stay engaged. So once we took a breath and tasked our extended leadership team with making sure day to day to day, they were following those directions where they really had good marching orders. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to check on. And only when this happens do we need to report back and or be concerned. 
cash flow, monitoring cash flow for 12 weeks to, you know, the grittiest detail. These are all things that as a CFO, you need to do or at least put in play with a strong leadership team, which is what I did. Then your attention becomes the one of the crystal ball, right? That nobody wants that job as to how long is the pandemic going to be, AKA make sure you have enough cash to get through a pandemic. Likely you think there will be a recession following the pandemic. So what does that look like? And then as a company, what does recovery look like coming out of a recession? And so I went to the history books because televerdi has been in business for 25 years. And I went and I looked at the last recession and I said, okay, what did pipeline look like? What did closing look like? How big were the deals? What were the average sale prices and all of that? And then started creating a model for a crystal ball that was something that I could adapt and change over time. So that is where the upper echelon of CEO and CFO, where we're spending our time as to, yes, we have our eye on the cash, but we have help. Yes, we have customers that are not canceling and getting great information and are staying engaged. We have our eye on that with help. And then we're really focused on what is happening day to day to drive the business. Are we seeing an increase in pipeline? Do we think we're still going to be in a recession? When do we think recovery will happen? And just making sure that we build pipeline, we don't cut sales, we don't cut marketing. These things are building for the future. So while protecting cash, as my mother would say, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Make sure that you're recognizing that you need a future. And there's a bigger problem that could happen if you take your eye off of the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love your example of looking back to the, to the last recession. It's kind of an example of using historical data to predict the future. Absolutely. What, what else can you do? Yeah. You know, again, nobody wants the crystal ball job, but somebody has got to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, you've mentioned that you're guided by three principles. Embrace empathy and leadership, focus downstream, and relish the spotlight. Can you elaborate on these three principles and why you think they're important? Well, I think the first one, embracing empathy and leadership, it's unique but certainly necessary. And it's important because some decisions that have to be, be made right now are hard. And they're, they're not easy, but yet you have to keep your eye on the bigger picture. And I think that having a communication ability to let everybody understand why's, you know, why do you think this is you know, something that needs to happen right now, or on the other side, why it literally can't happen right now. So it's one of those things where sometimes you just have to really take a deep breath and realize that there are no good choices, only good decisions when things are really, really hard. Yeah, and, absolutely. 
if you're thinking about focusing downstream, which is really important, and it just is wearing multiple hats, right? That you have to preserve cash. There's nothing else that you can think of right now about making sure that you survive a pandemic. And many companies are losing revenue, you know, quicker than it's actually coming in. And so if you don't focus smartly and position your company, then, you know, there's nothing. You, you end up with nothing and it just, you end up with an empty well. And so you cannot stop feeding the well with a short-sighted decision of preserving cash. Both items are vitally important. However, you have to find that balance to make sure that you have a today and you have a tomorrow. And, you know, thirdly, relishing the spotlight, you know, CFOs, we're accountants first, usually, yeah. right? And so it's one of those things that, is, again, is evolving, like we discussed before, where some CFOs definitely want to just sit in the corner and have their pocket protector in and their green eye shade and you know, just try and make financial decisions in a vacuum. And that just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't serve anybody. And I'm really passionate about making sure that we talk loud and proud about the partnerships that CFOs can have within their organization, operations, sales, marketing, the CEO, you have all the information as a CFO. You know what margins are doing. You know where your cash is. You know where your top line revenue is. You have all the information. Now go out, have some conversations with people, and then make really good decisions as a unit. And it just will serve you over and over. Because if there's one thing that you need to really drive a company forward profitably is buy-in. We don't need grumbling, this got cut, that got cut, oh, this got funded, this didn't get funded. That doesn't serve anybody. But by being transparent and creating an incredible culture of trust and having opportunities to share why why we're making that choice, it really goes a long, long way from the bottom all the way up to the top. Yeah, I agree with you. I think as accountants that most of us don't really want the spotlight, but it's important for us to get out there and collaborate with the rest of the company. Absolutely. I, the partnerships that you develop in a company actually drive less of the idea that finance accountants, you don't know my business, you don't understand. We've all been in those conversations throughout our careers. And breaking down those barriers is really what is differentiating CFOs of today. Absolutely. Some definitely some great advice there. Jill, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today about managing change. 
as we all know a little too well lately, that change is the only constant in life. And although it's something that so many of us try to avoid, I think that change brings a lot of opportunities as well. And I really appreciated your advice on how to not only manage it, but to truly embrace it. Thank you. It's been such a nice time chatting. Yep. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed today's topic as well. And until next week, I wish you all healthy and happy days ahead. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.